2: Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
0: Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin.
4: And I'm Ben Bolin. We are here uh, yet again in our awesome new audio studio, and Scott, I wanted to take a moment before we begin just to let you know that I understand there's some inequality in our microphones here, and um, we're going to work to fix that. Really? Well, yeah, for everybody who doesn't know, I got this, one of our microphones has oh. this fancy kind of arm thing. In the
2: way it looks, I was thinking you meant sound quality.
4: Oh, no, man. There's, there's not a microphone that can make you sound bad. You, you do have a uh, a very fancy mic going on there, I'll tell you that. It's not my
2: decision, man. I have to Just I have the hold my own mic. It's luck like a, of the it's draw. Like of the, uh, the 70s game show stick mics that I'm getting yeah. right now. We'll
4: get you a chair, too. <laughs> it
2: looks like a, a small baton or something.
4: It's a good look. <laughs> um, okay, but anyway, with that aside, we are going to delve back into the world of engine podcasts today, right? Yeah, that's right. But we've got, uh, this one sounds confusing initially,
2: mm-hmm. not that all that confusing really. Um, it just kind of is like a, a different angle on an engine that we're sort of familiar with, right? Right, exactly. That's been used throughout history.
4: Yes, we are talking about turbine or turbine engines.
2: Yeah, that's right. I'm glad you said that because I'll find myself, and I, we've mentioned this ahead mm. of time, turbine, turbine, I'm going to say both, you know, on and off. Don't let it bother your listeners. But uh, just kind of whatever comes to mind at that point. Um, yeah,
4: I I have committed the same sort of <laughs> act with uh, my famous Porsche Porsche. Yeah, switch that yeah, happens. Tomato tomato.
2: But um, listen, I, I think what we should do is maybe we should initially start off ex- explaining uh, gas turbine, maybe gas right turbine engine yeah. operation, yeah, and then uh, and then we'll get to uh, this new version that we want to talk about, uh, which is the rotating detonation engine which is a uh, kind of a twist on the gas turbine theme right
4: mm-hmm.
0: exactly. and uh, so mix
4: yeah
2: exactly so I think we need to uh, we need to maybe talk about uh, the gas turbines first and and I, I guess man this one goes way back I had no idea how far back gas turbine engines were invented um, the patent for this thing Ben I don't know if you found this or not mm-hmm. did, did you read the year that this thing was created go not you lay it on them the first gas turbine patent there I did it gas turbine patent <laughs> Was in 1791, Ben, by a guy named John Barber. 1791.
4: Now that's gas turbine, and we should point out that there are several different types of turbine engines yeah there are yeah. water turbines wind turbines steam turbines
2: yeah and they each have their own look and and feel i guess to them or the way that they the way they operate it's basically the same principle behind all of them um the steam turbine turbine if you want to uh to, to get into it i guess is that um you know they burn, there's something being burned there's coal there's natural gas right. uh, yeah, it's, typically a fossil fuel yeah it could be but you could reactor. use a nuclear reactor could be yeah. Heck, yeah you but could burn wood you could, yeah. Anything that anything that creates heat, really. Uh, you need that to to create steam, and then the steam is forced through a uh, a channel or a, a pathway of some some manner mm-hmm. that turns a a great big. Think of it as like a fan, mm-hmm. an internal fan, and the fan spins around and around and around, um, and that create and that drives a generator, and right. the generators where you so you get electric power out of you know at the end of all of this.
4: And this could be interesting to a lot of people who are perhaps not so familiar with power plants. Mm-hmm. It's amazing when we think about how old this technology is and how crucial it still is to modern society. Mm-hmm. It, we are literally heating up water, creating steam, and this steam is spinning a shaft that makes a generator exactly, work. Exactly,
2: which we draw electricity from then. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and the same thing with the the water turbines. You know, you see these... at um, giant hydroelectric plants, you know, right. where, where yeah. uh, like, think about Hoover Dam. Exactly. Inside, you've probably seen those enormous uh, hydroelectric, um, well, turbines, really, th- mm-hmm. that are operating that, that create all the electricity for, you know, that surrounding area, including the Las Vegas Strip, which is an enormous power suck, right? Yeah. That takes a ton of energy to run that. And and that just gives you an idea of how powerful water can be to generate electricity. Right. right.
4: And they look a little bit different because water has such a higher density, and it's slower moving than steam, mm-hmm. um, windmills are what you should think of when you think of wind turbines. Yeah, windmill. Now, there's the old school windmills that are,
2: you know, the great big cloth Fanned ones that uh, right. you think of in Holland,
4: and Don Quixote is stabbing a lance at them. Exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah. That's not the kind we're talking about. This mm-hmm. is more the uh, the modern version, I guess, because those were used for grinding and you know, uh, right, per- producing you know, uh, uh, flour and grains and things like exactly, that. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, the the ones we're talking about are the the great big enormous ones that you see on the side of the highway sometimes mm-hmm. uh, that generate electricity
4: out in the Midwest or maybe off the coast of some places. Sure. The bird choppers. The bird choppers. Yes, that'll teach those birds. <laughs> we're joking. Stop writing the email. All
2: right, listen, and then there's another one that's a uh, that's the, the one that I guess is more the focus or the uh, the style that eventually our rotating detonation engine is built off of, and that's the gas turbine engine.
4: Right. Now, as we said before, there's water, there's wind, there's steam. Now we're dealing with pressurized gas. This spins the turbine. So in all of these engines the the basic concept is fairly simple in all of these engines uh the engine is producing its own pressurized gas by burning something you know this could be kerosene this could be a jet fuel mix of some sort this could be propane and the heat that comes from that expands air and that high speed rush of this hot air spins the turbine right yeah Basically. exactly yeah that's a, that's a very succinct way to put that ben that's a,
2: that's really clean. Um, it, and it's not, it's not really a complicated system, um, on, on the surface. I mean, there's a lot right. of complex engineering that goes into this and allowing it to just hold together as it, as it does this because they spin ridiculously fast. I mean, we're talking like, you know, 35,000, 40,000 RPMs, you know, that type of speed, even higher at some, you know, in mm-hmm. some cases. Um, at idle, they're spinning at like, you know, 20,000 RPMs or something crazy like
4: that. That is crazy.
2: Yeah. So, you know, and, We should say that, you know, we mentioned 1791 It was the the first gas turbine patent, but uh, the first commercial use of the gas turbine engine wasn't until, I think it was 1939 in Switzerland.
4: Yeah, which just gives us a sense of the material constraints of the time. We had to be able to, we being the human species, had to be able to build... Something that could resist or withstand all this pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And you know, the, it was used for
2: a commercial use initially. It was like an industrial application, mm-hmm. um, and then later, and not much later, an airplane—the the, the uh, first jet, I mean, the first aircraft that was flown using only turbojet power uh was a, a plane a craft called the uh, the Henkel H E one seventy eight. And again, that's back in the late nineteen thirties. So mm-hmm. um, man, I mean it's been around a long, long time and we've we've adapted the use of this thing yeah. for automobiles as well. Now aircraft is the one that we typically think of, right? Right. We
4: usually we usually think of you know turbofans. Yeah,
2: yeah. But since we're a car show, we're gonna talk about some of the uh some of the car uses as well, right? Yes. And uh, there have been a number of gas turbine powered vehicles now in the 1950s there was a series of cars from GM right mm-hmm. that was uh an ex- experimental series of vehicles right that was the uh, the firebird
4: series right yep there the, were uh three firebirds and uh one of them looks like an honest to god jet on wheels i think i'm going to say two of the three
2: look like a oh, jet oh the on firebird 2 as well i think the 3 I think the the three. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that later. You know what? We should do a podcast on it. It's not a bad idea because, uh, that's a, that's a (laughs) a great topic. Yeah. Um, and then in the 1960s, uh, Chrysler did something called the, uh, the turbine car, which was Mm -hmm. simply named, but, uh, those are the, uh, the copper colored vehicles that we saw, um, and we've done a podcast on that. We have done,
4: I was waiting for it to come up. We have done an episode entirely on this Chrysler. So you can check this out if you're interested.
2: And a little known fact is that, uh, in 1954, Plymouth, the Plymouth division of Chrysler, also did a uh, another concept car that was also turbine powered. That um, you'll see some publicity photos of this one where uh, there's someone I don't know who it was in the press or you know maybe somebody from the company was putting their hand down by the exhaust. Mm-hmm. You would think that's a bad move, but right. apparently it was so cooled at that point that uh, that they were able to put their hand behind it, which was a big deal. Right, um,
4: because earlier turbine cars, turbine cars. Dang it, Scott, you've got me doing it. Uh, <laughs> earlier versions of these cars uh, had a tremendous concern about the temperature of the exhaust, which we can we can also talk about, but we've we've touched on this in some of our earlier podcasts. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this isn't something that
2: has just happened, you know, like 40, 50 years ago with right. automobiles. Uh, if you go up to 1993, Chrysler, again, made a car called a race car. It was a concept car called the Patriot. Uh, and that was supposed to be a car that was going to run in the 24 hours of Le Mans, but uh, never did. It just never... Got past the production stage. I saw that car one time at an engineering facility. No in, way. In person. Got to uh, walk around it, touch it, all that stuff. Did you get to hop in? Did not, because it was uh, the way it was parked and the way it was uh, yes. It was just set off to the side in some conference room. It was really weird. That is but, strange. Uh, yeah, Think yeah. it's not even the centerpiece? Uh, no, and I'm sure that it eventually made its way to the Chrysler Museum or something like yeah. that. But uh, it was just some engineering building.
1: If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian.
0: Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It could also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com.
1: Dexcom
2: data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility compatibility.
4: Uh, one other point too, Scott, um, other vehicles aside from, Cars and planes use these, military vehicles use gas turbine engines and we just wanna, we just wanna ping that. Because it's going to come up later in our podcast. Oh, definitely the, the yeah. military applications. Yeah,
2: military finds a use for these as well. So
4: why know. why would somebody use well, a gas turbine
2: engine? Well, I mean, a lot of places have, and that's the thing is like you know they've the Fiat's tried it, Rovers tried it, Lotus's tried it, Toyotas tried it, Volvo, yeah, uh, Jaguar had a, an amazing concept car just recently. I mean, they they just canceled this car, Ben. Though it was supposed to be in production. They canceled it in December of 2012. That's how recent this is. Wow. Now it had a. Uh, it's called the CX75. If you want to take a, a quick look at it, and it's a hybrid electric vehicle. Um, but this one's really different. It had. There were five prototypes built of this one. Uh, it uses two diesel-fed micro gas turbine engines in order to power it. And uh, Weird. this is like a million-dollar supercar that that Jaguar is putting together for the 75th anniversary. That's why the uh, the 75 designation. It stands for concept. Experimental seventy five is for the seventy fifth anniversary, and they they canceled they it just, it just cance- in December. Just canceled it, but there were supposedly five prototypes built. So watch for those to appear because I think they said three of them, three of them may be sold. The other two are going to be like promotional vehicles of some kind. You know, Jaguar is going to own one. Mm-hmm. Another one's going to go to a museum, and one's going to go to Jay Leno. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no doubt, no doubt, <laughs> no doubt. Now you said you, before I no. rudely interrupted, but uh, you said that you know why? Why would they not? Continue on with the the uh, the uh, the jet powered engine, really the right. uh, the turbine powered engine. Right. Well, there's a lot. There's I I can count like maybe three simple ones. Uh, first one is cost, right?
4: Oh yeah, they're expensive. They're they're more expensive than your average diesel engine, that's for sure. Well as you can see the uh the the Jaguar with a million dollar price tag. Right, right. And uh they're not just expensive in terms of the manufacturing, although Mm -hmm. they are much more difficult to manufacture, right? Definitely,
2: yeah, because they have really high tolerances because uh they're, they're so strong. These are extremely powerful
4: engines so there's also a maintenance issue there too because mm-hmm. imagine the yearly maintenance costs for you know a turbine powered car mm, definitely know? yeah I think it uh, it would throw a lot of people for a loop to find out that you know
2: take it in for maintenance and it's like uh, you know well I can imagine what it costs to take in a small jet for maintenance mm-hmm. it would be the same thing taking your car and your vehicle in um, the other thing now this doesn't apply to the Jaguar, apparently, or the newer the newer uh, gas turbine powered engines, or vehicles rather. Yeah. Uh, but they now we've talked about this in the past, jet powered vehicles that we've we've done. Yes. They have a slow takeoff, and they're, they're slow to decelerate as well. mm mm-hmm. uh, But once they get cruising, that's where their real ability shines. That's so where they, they shine. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So you know this isn't the uh, quick off the line type of vehicle that you think, except for the Jaguar.
4: Is that because it's
2: a hybrid? I, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's why. That's good. You know, good, good point. Um, but it's like you know, got a super fast zero to sixty time. Mm-hmm. But if you watch like a, a jet powered vehicle at a demo, at say like a you know tractor pole or something, wherever you are, um, we've mentioned this many times. But it's a it's a very slow ramp up to speed, and then it's full power, and then. You know, then backing it down as uh is another slow process and sometimes involves say, you know parachutes and things like right. that. Right.
4: And also let's keep in mind that gas turbine engines are expensive in terms of fuel. Yeah. That's that's gonna be one of the that's one of the big cons if you are someone who owns uh you know, an M one tank, for instance, which does have a gas turbine engine. <laughs> uh, if you're someone who owns, you know, a a plane that uses these or a ship, but one of the um, one of the things that makes this tricky is that they do have this great power-to-weight ratio, and you get more bang for your buck because a gas turbine engine that has the same power as a reciprocating engine is going to be smaller.
2: Now, also, there's one other point here that I think we need to mention. What's that? Uh, the exhaust.
4: Uh, the exhaust Ooh. comes into play in a lot of these
2: vehicles now. Did you know that the exhaust come out of the back end of this thing it's the the speed of the exhaust is something amazing it's like it's like 1300 miles per hour is like the the wind speed at the very tip of the exhaust like right at the yeah. very edge of it and and the temperatures the temperature of the exhaust coming out now i know that there are systems that cool exhaust and i'm sure that this uh, this jaguar has you know cooling
4: mm-hmm. going on
2: Ah, oh, but some of the, uh, some of the temperatures that I've seen as far as ratings go, it's like 2,000 degrees, Ben.
4: Right. This is not something you want to stand behind, which is why it was such <laughs> a big deal with the turbine car, no, right? Definitely
2: not. Definitely not. So it's extremely hot. It's just, in a way, it's, it's impractical to have something like that out, out in public, you know, where somebody could be harmed just simply by walking past your tailpipe.
4: Yeah. And that's, that's one of those things where not to sound unfriendly, but you can never, underestimate i won't call it stupidity but the obliviousness sure how about that, is, yeah, that I, is that fair i could see that
2: i could see someone walking right past it just not even thinking about it and suddenly you know poof their shorts are gone because you know they they went up in smoke
4: mm-hmm. yeah. and so so i think we have broke down the the idea here of a gas turbine engine we've explained the way it works in terms of the uh, comparison to other turbine engines, mm-hmm. you know, the three basic parts: the compressor that compresses the air, the combustion area that burns the fuel, and of course the turbine, which is where the energy is extracted. Yeah,
2: and there's a there's a central shaft that, mm-hmm. that translates that power, you know, all that rotational power that uh, that can be used in vehicles like a helicopter. Yeah, you know, the exhaust is then routed off a different direction. Um, and this is different than in a jet application. Now, there's a central shaft in a jet as a jet engine as well. But um, that uses more of the uh, more of the exhaust gases for thrust rather than uh, the rotational power. They're not trying to drive a transmission. They're try- not trying to drive a wheel or a rotor or anything like that. And, you know, the, the larger jets that you see, like, you know, when you go to the airport and you look at, you know, those enormous jets that are, yeah. you know, as tall as, uh, you know, anybody that's out on the tarmac, they're huge mm-hmm. um, or two times as tall. Um, those are called turbofan engines. And right, yes, a turbofan really it's not a whole lot different from just a standard gas turbine engine um in in that it just it incorporates also a large fan at the very front and the fan while that's spinning that's drawing in even more air it just pushes more air through the engine now it's cooler air and mm-hmm. it goes around the compression area um so it's it's cooling as it goes but it also aids in thrust a little bit I don't know how much really I don't think a whole lot but as mm-hmm. the faster the engine spools up the faster the fan spins the more air it brings in it's just a it's a complementary system, really.
4: Oops. Yeah, the um, air that the fan moves is called bypass air. Okay. You
2: know why? Right. Why is it? Because well, gonna... it bypasses. Bypasses everything inside, the, right? Yeah,
4: the turbine part of the engine mm-hmm. and moves it straight through to the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a
2: feeling that that's mainly for cooling. Um, I, I really do, because now I know that I know that there's like a cool section of the engine, which is at the front. There's a hot section that's at the back end, mm-hmm. and as that cool air flows over that hot metal, I, I can't help but think it's some type of insulator. You know, that like, could make sense. Uh, There's
4: also it does also though, as you said, provide some thrust and maybe a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I'm
2: sure it does. It moves a lot of air, right? Right. But um, as far as the
4: it's like, to, the focus force, yeah,
2: and he, being able to tune it because there's a nozzle at the back end of a lot of jets that, that can open or close, right, and mm-hmm. that that increases or decreases the amount of thrust that that engine produces, right? Yes, that's how it's controlled. I mean, other than RPM, right? Yes, okay, all right. All so, right. That
4: makes so, sense. so we've done we've done an okay look, I think, at what a gas turbine or turbine in general engine is, and so now we're going to get to the fun part. Uh, which is going to be the rotating detonation engine, dot, 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 ellipses. But first, let's talk about something completely different.
1: If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. Those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian.
3: You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack
0: Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com.
2: All right, so let's get back into our uh, our main topic here. How about that? Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about these rotating detonation engines because it's just a uh, it's just a, a, a twist, on it. it sounds complex, right?
4: Yeah, it but, sounds complex, and it, and it is. I mean,
2: we don't need to we don't mean to uh, downplay this at all. Right. But um, it's it's not really all that much different from just a gas turbine engine. It's just like a, it's a little variation of that.
4: Yeah, and uh, I w- I want to say before we dig into this that. Uh, you and I have learned our lesson, haven't we, Scott? We're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We're not
2: going to get too deep into this as far as, uh, you know, exactly how it operates and the tolerances and all mm-hmm. that stuff. I we just are think, not
4: physicists. No,
2: no, no, no. There's plenty of information out there uh, about this engine, so a lot of people can look at it and, you know, read the specs on the whole thing if you'd like. Uh, yeah. But, but the interesting part about this is that, you know, not only is it a twist on this, this old older technology, uh-huh. There's uh, there's someone who's very very interested in
4: this new technology, right? Yes, and can, may I spill the beans? Why not? It's our friends at the U.S. Navy, most particularly the Naval Research Laboratory, which we're going to refer to as the NRL. Scott, can I hit you with some statistics? I think so. Good. Okay, well, stop me if I can't. Okay. Um, So right now, there are about 430 gas turbine engines, and they're spread across 129 U.S. Navy ships. Okay,
2: so you're saying they're already using... The older version, the gas right. turbine engines. Yes, okay.
4: precisely. Okay. So these engines, Scott, they burn approximately $2 billion worth of fuel every year. Oh, my gosh. That's an awful lot of fuel. And that's approximate. I don't know. When people say approximate with a number like $2 billion, yeah. I get nervous. Yeah, I think they're rounding down a bit maybe, huh? You know, approximately is a tricky word, <laughs> my friend. But, okay, so, so it's in their interest to do what they can to reduce either the amount of money spent on fuel or the amount of fuel used, right? Sure. So they're going to make their ships more aqua-dynamic, right? Oh, yeah. Nice. Well, maybe not, though. Maybe they're just going to change around the engine, right? Oh, maybe. Well, that's, that's one of the goals. And, you know, of course, with an operation as large as the United States Navy, we can assume that they're pursuing concurrent goals, right? Sure. So one of the things that the researchers there at the NRL believe is that this type of engine, this rotating detonation engine, will have the potential to meet a 10% increased power requirement, at the same time reducing fuel use by 25%. So
2: 10% increase in power, 25% less fuel? Yeah,
4: What's the, uh, what's the catch? Well, here's the catch. Remember how earlier we kind of mentioned that there were, there was some complex physics to yeah, these, sure. to these engines? Yeah. Well, that's still true. Okay. <laughs> it hasn't changed since yeah. we said that yeah. a few minutes earlier. Um, <laughs> maybe it has. Maybe it has. You know what? Maybe it has. We should check Twitter. <laughs> but the, uh, the thing is that the U.S. Navy has a history of looking into these detonation engines. And this is a this is a pretty old idea. I was pretty startled by this. Yeah. The uh the idea of a rotating detonation engine dates back to what, more than twenty years ago now.
2: Yeah, the fi- the patent was filed um in nineteen eighty two and uh, it was it was granted finally in nineteen eighty eight by a guy in uh in Rockville, Maryland. Um this inventor, I'm gonna mess up his name here. Mm-hmm. Schmuel. Schmuel Eidelman? Yeah, that's pretty good eidelman i got but uh (laughs) s eidelman how about that sure uh but anyways he's uh yeah it's been it's been around for quite a while this this idea and uh just just to give you an idea of what it what it really means i mean and this is maybe the the best example here the best way i can describe what it what's happening okay um the the now this is this is actually coming from an article in physics today and they describe the the Detonation that happens within this thing, instead of being chaotic and, you know, just happening, you know, not that jet engines are, are that way or gas turbine engines are that way, but slightly more than this because this is even more controlled. Right. Um, they say that uh, the detonation happens in what they call a sequential circular manner around the engine. And uh, the first detonation sets off a cycle in which the pressure from ignition continues around the chamber, igniting each igniting each ignition mm-hmm. in, in sequence.
4: Yeah, so it's sort of like scheduled detonations.
2: Yeah, and if you look at the the charts with this. Now, it's tough to see, but they've got like um Oh, what do they call them? Thermal graphs, maybe. Yeah. That uh, that show an engine and it shows where the detonation is happening and it looks like it's spiraling down and out towards the exhaust mm-hmm. and that just continues to repeat itself as it goes down and around. I'm I'm moving my hands like you can see that, but in sort of a corkscrew fashion. A corkscrew. That's probably the best way to say it. Yeah. So it's a uh, it, and and the ignition from each one of these keeps that entire cycle moving and it just becomes like super efficient as it keeps going. It it just this rotation mm-hmm. becomes more and more efficient and you said it's what 25% more efficient. Yeah. Oh, ten percent. 10
4: percent more efficient, but twenty-five percent, twenty-five percent reduction in fuel That's use. That's right. And
2: you know what? I've got another number here for you, and I don't know if you came across this or not. But What's that? Um, the fuel savings each year—we're talking like four hundred million dollars in fuel savings each year based on that twenty-five percent. So it's an enormous savings just just by changing over from a gas turbine engine to a rotating detonation engine.
4: Right, so if you spend just for instance 200 million researching this idea and you get a working engine out of it, then it is still worth the time. There's uh one one thing that we should say, the current gas turbine engines that are used are um they're they're attractive to the navy because they scale up to large power very well. Um they're pretty self-contained, and they're easy to maintain, especially when you think of the economy of scale. If you were the Navy versus, you know, Ben and Scott and their turbine car garage, <laughs> then it's a little easier to to maintain these. Yeah, they need uh, enormous amounts of power. Exactly. And this, what should we call them, the old school gas turbine engines or what? the current ones maybe? The current. The current ones use something called the Brayton thermodynamic cycle, and this is just what we were talking about beforehand. It's where air is compressed, mixed with fuel, combusted at a constant pressure, and expanded either to generate electricity or to generate propulsion. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is different here with the detonation cycle is exactly the way you described it. There's a scheduled sort of corkscrew, uh, almost a domino effect of detonations setting off are igniting each other. Mm-hmm. And there are two questions here. One, why hasn't it happened yet, which is something that we were addressing. And two, what's the likelihood that this will make it from prototype to production? So in our first question, one of the best answers, which is a little weird, is that we already were researching, we being the U.S. Navy, we're already researching uh, an earlier kind of thing, something you could sort of think of as the uh, the laser disc, if rotating de- i know it's a horrible comparison. If rotating detonation engines are the the compact disc, right, sure, yeah. or the DVDs, then the pulse detonation engine is sort of the laser ah, disc. I'm glad you said that. Now I, I understand what you're saying. Here
2: is that that's the precursor, the uh, the great big kind of clumsy. Um, not that not the pulse wave jets are, are clumsy, but mm-hmm. you know, um, in the example that you gave, the uh, the laser disc versus uh, you know the the CD the the rotating detonation engine ends up being a variation of this the the pulse jet engine right. and one of the inefficiencies in a pulse jet engine cuz i think i think we've talked about these i'm not sure if we have or not i, I think i remember them coming up i know we've looked at them on things like uh, a lot of people make these at home, and they they put them on bicycles and things. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Some I think we did
4: talk about them you know, in like, a couple uh, of strange vehicles.
2: Yeah, instances. like go karts or something. Uh-huh. You know, they put them on strange vehicles, and they seem extremely dangerous to me, like really hot. But, but you um, know the main disadvantage. Uh, yeah, the main disadvantage is that you know the combustion chamber has to be purged after each single pulse. So mm-hmm. um, this is where the detonation engine proves an improvement uh, in mm-hmm. that you know because uh, these waves cycle around the uh, the combustion chamber they constantly are flushing out that that exhaust gas yeah. and uh there's no need for like a complete purge before there's another detonation happening mm-hmm. and that's what that's the case in a pulse a pulse wave jet or you know pulse, a pulse de- detonator pulse yeah. detonation or you know there's a lot of different names for that right. particular type of jet engine but um so this is much more efficient now one other thing we need to say here is they don't necessarily need a compressor like a like a uh turbo like a uh, sorry, gas, a turbine, gas engine. turbine engine does. Um which, you know, is just to be honest, they're pretty complex and they're they, uh-huh. they suck a lot of energy out of this whole system, right? That's true. I mean that's that's like the that's like the big mechanical loss in this engine. No, we're the, saying compressors suck a lot of energy. Yeah compressors do. But but the thing is with a rotating detonation engine, if you add a compressor, which is a you know, I'm sure it's a little different. There's a variation of this mm-hmm. of course. But when you add a compressor it makes them even more efficient. So I'm sure that the Navy is looking at at compressors to fit to these things as well. And that's one of the the tie-ups in that, you know, they're not quite ready yet to do it. Mm -hmm. Do you know the
4: time frame of this thing? Well, it's it's interesting because the time frame, from what I understand, is tied to uh, a larger mandate that the Navy has Mm -hmm. given itself, which is to adapt um, electric power to create all-electric ships and planes. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the...
2: Wait, wait, wait. All electric ships and planes? Well, yeah, that's... Oh, my gosh. I know. Well, that's, uh, that's a tall order to fill. Yeah, don't we sound like old codgers. Yeah. <laughs>
4: electric planes! Well,
2: you know, I'm saying for <laughs> Navy, I mean, for naval applications, right. uh, boy, we're just, I don't think we're... Maybe I'm wrong, Ben, but maybe... I, I just haven't seen us... Really get that close to
4: this? Well, yet. we've got top people working around the clock. We we should keep in mind, of course, that there is probably not to sound tin tinfoil hatty or whatever, but it, it is um it is safe to assume that there's a lot of research going on backstage that w- that we're not privy oh, to.
2: Absolutely, I know that they're like you
4: know <laughs> they're
2: like let's let's they're like two decades ahead of us. so You know what <laughs> what we know is like what they developed 20 years ago or something, right?
4: Well, you know that. I would actually, I would consider that view optimistic. I would love to think that there's, there's something like that. I don't know. Maybe there is, but we do know that the U.S. Navy has not made the switch yet. But there's a compelling economic reason to do this because every time you hear about the U.S. Navy deployed anywhere in the world, you have to kind of imagine, um, uh, the supply chain. So think of it like an invisible leash an invisible, really expensive leash (laughs) extending from, you know, Washington all the way out. And that leash involves um, fuel as a huge cost. By the time that one gallon of fuel makes it to, you know, let's say – Let's say an operation in Afghanistan. Okay. I mean this is not the Navy, but let's just say, uh then that's gonna be dramatically more expensive than it would be at at a pump. Yeah.
2: I think I've read this before that you know that by the time that fuel gets it makes its way into whatever vehicle and is actually used, it's actually cost uh the US taxpayer something like it's like in the Thirty some odd dollars, or even more. Yeah, I might way off on that. Maybe it's even more. I think it's more. It might be more. But, and so, um, it's, it's, so some, it's some a, crazy amount. Yeah. And you can look it up. And I may be off. I may be ten percent of what it costs. I don't really even remember exactly. But it, it was some ridiculously high number.
4: Right. And so there is a compelling interest. But to go back to the original question, when these are going to be um, when these are going to be instituted across the navy that's a that's a good question scott and i don't know if that's one that's been conclusively answered
2: i mean i wonder if it's like a decade away or if it's like you know 5 years away but but imagine deciding that you're going to change every engine in every naval ship that we have oh, yeah. and and aircraft as well right oh yeah yeah this, that's this the is, idea this is major major rework of the whole system so uh so you know it's it's coming uh watch for these rotating detonation engines in mm-hmm. the in the near future i would say because i mean i think they're going to move on with this because i mean when you talk about a 400 million dollar fuel savings each year yeah um and the, not only that the uh the increase in power mm-hmm. i mean how how beneficial is that that's amazing so uh and, and you know to be more efficient and more powerful mm-hmm That's a great move.
4: Yeah, that is a move that could work for civilian as well as military applications. Um, We have some articles on this for anybody who's interested in learning more about these engines. We have, of course, How Gas Turbine Engines Work by the famous Marshall Brain. And we have how the rotating detonation engine works. Um, which I gotta say, I enjoyed this, uh, uh this article, Scott. Now you edited this one, is that correct? Yeah, that's right.
2: And, uh, I learned quite a bit. I mean, I had to, uh, kind of quickly study up on gas turbine engines and everything, but, uh, that was interesting. I mean, I, I, had, I just hadn't even really heard about it. It's, uh, it's, a relatively new to me I mm-hmm. mean, as far as the news is but uh but i just couldn't i was blown away by the efficiency and the extra power and you know just it's amazing
4: and i think i wanted to say uh, a little shout out here that the author makes a great point um in his author's note you know her. He, in her note oh yeah. gosh excuse me yeah. oh that's
0: all
2: right He may have had the wrong author there I yeah yeah
4: yeah um but the the note here that I thought was pretty insightful, says it doesn't appear that anyone suggested that the rotating detonation engine might actually have potential to be used in cars or trucks. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Made a great point uh, that a lot of stuff we use every day was originally developed for completely different purposes. Race cars and military vehicles are two common sources. So we have a great podcast um, on how many technological innovations came from racing. Yeah, and yeah. it's common knowledge that quite a few of the innovations that we see in civilian cars today come from the military.
2: Yeah, it's it's not unheard of to think that you know that we're going to see some of these applications in some form. Trickle down into consumer use. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that'll be in, you know, heavy duty trucks, if it's going to be in uh, commercial, you know, applications as far as, you know, commercial vehicles that, that carry heavy goods or whatever. I mean, it could be, um, you know, it could be passenger cars in some way. I don't know. I mean, we've talked about, you know, how many cars now that have you, have tried you know, using gas turbine engines, and, yeah. you know, there's the Jaguar that's still out there that, you know, has, you know, the the newest version of this now, um, all the way up until as late as 2012, and we've been kind of playing around with this for about, what, 65, 70 years, something like yeah. that, in cars, so um, it's not unheard of to think that, you know, maybe it'll happen.
4: Yeah, we would be interested to see the results, and uh I got to tell you, Scott, I had a good time doing this podcast. I thought we did all right. I think we did okay, too. I mean, I know we didn't
2: dive too deep into uh, the applications or yeah. anything like that. But, we don't uh, want to embarrass uh, But, you know, just getting that information out there, because I think a lot of people just are unaware of it like I was until we did this article, mm-hmm. until we, you know, posted it on our site. And uh, I, I think that uh, there's a lot to learn there.
4: You know what? I think we should go ahead and make good on our earlier conversation to do a podcast on the Firebird. What do you think? Yeah, I want to dig deeper on those. I, yeah. I think those are, uh, it's a cool series of vehicles. Yes, Ah yes, spoiler alert everybody, but uh, we're going to go and... Dig into the firebirds and act surprised when you hear that on an upcoming podcast. In the meantime, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, do write to us and let us know what you think. Uh, we're on the newfangled internets. You can find us, Car Stuff HSW on Facebook and on Twitter. And you can send us a good old-fashioned email at
2: at Discovery.com.
3: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com.
4: This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.